From Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, you are listening to Art Waves, a monthly program about art, local artists, and spaces open to art in Mendocino County. I'm Victor Palomino, and with Marty Dorlin, we are exploring Mendocino art sector. In today's show, we will hear about a podcast production workshop in Fort Bragg, followed by a conversation with Mexican visual artist Salvador Andrade. We also talk with the Mendocino College Repertoire Dance Company, and Marty Dorlin talked to spoken word artist Felicity Artemis. We will close with a report about the California Creative Corps. We begin today's program in the Mendocino Coast, where Loreto Rojas and Diana Coriat brought together a group of Latinos of different ages and backgrounds for a podcast creation workshop that seeks to document the experience of Latinos in the region. My name is Diana Coriat. Uh, I'm co-director together with Loreto Rojas on a new project called Making History, Haciendo Historia, Latinos in Mendocino. Diana, make a synopsis of what's the project about. Okay, so our project, which is called Making History, Haciendo Historia, Latinos in Mendocino. Once it's a, a storytelling project where we're doing testimonials, we're doing oral histories with the Latino community, and those will eventually become, uh, parts of them will become podcasts, a whole podcast series about Latinos who have been here for a very long time and their history is not really public. So this project, the objective of it is to make an intervention into local history and insert Uh, la Latinidad, Latinos into that history, which includes the industries of, of fishing and logging and all kinds of things, together with the unique challenges that they have had coming to a new country. And how's the process of the workshop? How many days and how many students you have? Well, first of all, I want to say that Loreto Rojas and I, the co-directors, felt that We could not do this project alone. We did not want to do this project alone. We, it, it's a community-based project. It must have community members. So we also know that community members are very, very busy. So we had to design um, a workshop, a four-part workshop. So we met over four different Saturdays, stretched out from the end of September until November 5th. And each workshop is three hours long from 10 to 1. And we get together and we talked about and trained in everything from telling stories. We taught the members, the participants, how to use the Zoom recorder, how to record histories with their families, either on their iPhones or their Androids or using a recorder with microphones. And we did not get to editing, but we've been talking a lot about how to actually tell stories how to interview people so that they will tell their stories. And it's a challenge because these are first-time interviewers that are interviewing people that have never been interviewed necessarily. And it's an intergenerational group of 12 people. We have everybody from high school students on up to people in their 60s. What kind of stories are you finding or, or your students are telling? The way we envisioned the project first was that we wanted to begin to tell the stories of Latinos that got here maybe 30 years ago or more, because it's not in the public record, and we really wanted to see how, how is this community founded, who are important characters, and how has the Latino community changed over the years. So we need kind of like a baseline, and so our group is interviewing 
mostly people that have been here for 20 to 30 years, but we've also had interviews with young people in the high school, with people that have just recently arrived. So it's, it's been a mix, which is the way migration works, right? We In this community of Fort Bragg, we do have people who have been here for decades and other people who arrived yesterday and everything in between. Anything that have surprised you um, during this process? I have worked in community media for decades and you're always surprised. You always plan out workshops, but there's always many surprises. And for me, because I'm a recent arrival myself, I mean, I came here in 2017 and I would say that I didn't know what to expect in terms of how much time people would give to this process. And people have dedicated themselves with so much enthusiasm and have done such great work. So today was our last day in the workshop. We were listening to uh, several different interviews and we were laughing and we were crying and you know it was just a beautiful experience to see and people really got choked up we gave out certificates and stipends and the surprise is the constant enthusiasm because people are so busy in their daily lives we'd had no idea that they'd be able to who would who will even show up four days four weeks in a row but people have people have come and we've had almost perfect attendance and we've and the only time people haven't come is because they've gotten sick and almost everybody has done an interview so far and the one or two that hasn't it's because of huge challenges in their lives and they'll be giving them to us in like a week or two. So what's next for the project? Well, there's a lot of work to do as my compañera Loreto keeps saying is a very ambitious project. And our next steps, well, everybody that engaged in an intergenerational dialogue, uh, record of an interview, they are all going to write their own personal narrations. So we'll have several intimate podcasts that come out of this, several episodes that are just strictly the person uh, that interviewed with the person they interviewed. So let's say a daughter and a father, or a daughter and a mother, people that work together, etc. So they'll have their own podcast. And then we will also be taking all the different wonderful histories and making some podcasts that have larger themes. So about the work, the industries, what was it like when the mill closed here, What was the sea urchin industry like then and what is it like now? So some larger histories. So we are going to continue to work with the people that we've been working with. They are all committed and we won't be in workshops, but we will be working with them to write their narrations and we will be editing and we will be transcribing all of the interviews. A lot of work. And then we'll probably have another round, another community process at some point. For most of the workshop participants... This was their first experience producing podcast and doing interviews. Kaylee Becerra. How do you find out about the, the, the workshop? Um, so I found out about the workshop uh, because I was part of the advisory team. Um, so I actually talked to Loreto and Diana a few years ago about doing a project like this. And really they, they are the, the brains behind it. So we put it together and... That's kind of how it took off. How do you feel the experience like? Um, honestly, I think it's so much better than, than I, what I imagined. The way that it was organized and it really came together. You know, the four different workshops and the different processes every weekend, I think, came together very beautifully. I was very, very pleased. What did you learn from the people's stories and Latinos talking about the stories of, of, of Fort Bragg? 
I mean, I learned a lot about each individual, um, you know, the, the people that we interviewed as well as the people who were participating in the workshop. But one thing that keeps coming to mind is the fact that we are counter storytelling because there are obviously gaps in our history nationally, locally. So it's it's really powerful, I think, to hear all these stories because they are a part of our history and they need to be told to the point where they're no longer counter stories and they're a part of the bigger bigger history, what is considered history. What did you learn like for personally? Oh my gosh, um, I was terrified about using the microphone and the machines and so I don't know. I never thought I would be doing that before. And I, I learned how to uh, come up with questions, which I think is really important. Um, I think it's a lot harder than I thought it would be, but it's it's so important for these interviews. It's really the basis of the interview. Do you see yourself doing more podcasting or interviews or radio? I hope so. I, I think I do. I just need, I think, make some more time. I'm a very busy person, but I hope to be able to continue this work. Do you think that the people that will listen to the stories will learn more about Latino communities here? I think so. Um, I think that the stories are su super important, not only for people who aren't Latinos, but also for people who are Latino. I think it's so important to hear that, that history that, that is part of your, um, part coming out of your community, um, by, the, by your community, for your community. You are listening to Art Waves. My name is Victor Palomino, and art has no borders. Moreover, artists use their life's journey as a source for inspiration for their work. Visual artist Salvador Andrade is originally from Guanajuato, Mexico, and now lives in Willits, California. Andrade sat down with KCYX to talk about his experience as an artist working and evolving in the United States. Well, my full name is... Manuel Salvador Perez Andrade, and I'm a painter here in Mendocino. Tell me your beginnings. How did you start painting? Well, I started painting when I was really young. I live in, in a city of the center of Mexico called Guanajuato. I remember that I, seeing my father painting in the outside. I thought at that early age, every adult was a painter or because my father was an artist. So that's what you started. You started just also painting and I kind of like doing the I same thing. I started doing father. some um, drawings, and then when my father saw the interest of me into drawing, he teach me how to use a grid and transfer photo to the actual canvas or paper. What you were painting? Uh, I don't recall. Probably <laughs> animals or yeah, or or some uh, familiar picture. How do you continue that? What else do you do after that? After that, I r just remember a little bit when I was older in high, in high school in Mexico. And then I start to be a rebel and do graffiti, uh, illegal graffiti. I used to wake up at 3 a.m. and grab my backpack and do some illegal graffiti in Mexico City, in Mexico. And then I, I remember that I become a little bit popular at that time doing graffiti and then a few friends asked me to do some portraits for them to the loved ones of them to 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 someone that they really liked so i i was spending my time doing drawing yeah that's that's one part and the other part is that i start skating that's been related skateboarding and painting 
is 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 I've been doing this for almost 12 years. And then you Yes, I finished high school in Mexico and then I moved here when I was 18 and then I did my GED and then I started to take some classes at Mendocino College, which really helped me to develop my visual conception of as an artist to, to develop that craft a little bit more because I before that I took a few classes, but not, not much. I, yeah. How do you describe the that change just like uh starting to be in more or what brought you to say like okay I, i i can be an artist i was taught to become an artist since i was a little kid so the the perspective that the uh, mendocino college gave me it was to give me the opportunities to show my work actually in, in the gallery and then I was really happy about having that space and then that my work will sell uh, as well. So I was uh, really like grounded, getting like grounded, like this is real. And then all the support from friends and from the teachers and nice. as well. And the, all the new people that I just met here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're still taking classes at the yes i'm still taking some beginning drawing classes uh -huh. just to keep the line work or, or the style that i that i i've been uh, developing because i work with cross hatching mm -hmm. cross hatching is my my base my 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 solid ground and then from there on i start to build a uh, portrait yeah i work mainly in portraits and with acrylic oils i use acrylic paintings And I use um, uh, pencil and ink pen, but I like the craft and and the line, and I don't uh, the struggle when you can erase something. I I really like the uh, the idea of, of of okay, I I made a mistake and and it's still there. I don't want an image to look like a well. Uh, like really pure. I I want the viewer to see the the struggle and and I don't know, the brush. The brush yes, yeah. the imperfection. Yes. <laughs> so, do you remember some of those first uh, exhibitions when you were here? Um, I did this uh, painting using a technique called fumage that I learned in Mexico from an artist from Canada. His name is Steven Espasuk. And then he used a candle as a paintbrush, and then he puts the canvas on top of his uh, head, and then he with little strokes with the flame, the the ashes that are left into the canvas, he makes some incredible ima images. Yeah. So you were doing that. Were I were. I was. Uh, yeah. The teacher uh, uh, with the danger of burn, burning my house. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the teacher allows me to to do that kind of thing. So I remember that I did a small uh, portrait, and then right away it sells. It was the first uh, painting that was sold at the, at the gallery. And what are your topics? What do you like to paint right now? Well, my topics are always ambiguous. My process, I start from uh, from things that I read. I get this inspiration, and then I ask my friends uh, if if they want to uh, be portrayed. And I don't tell them like, "Oh, you want to be portrayed as something like 
evil or or that kind of but through the use of color i i tend so to you use your friends as models as models for your, for your painting? yeah for my paintings most of them are really uh, nice and some of them i i don't tell them until they saw the painting and they and they uh, they're like uh, they like it most of the time but i my friends i paint my friends and now that i came here uh when they when they see my uh, latin american friends from mexico they see us like the beauty of of some that like the world is not that just there's some some other faces pretty faces around the world and how do you think your art or you yourself as an artist change when you move here to the united states I changed a lot of because I got a really more mature idea of how to transfer the idea that I have in my mind, like the the archetype idea that I have at first. Now I have to transfer that archetypical idea into to an image, and through the use of of, of the internet, Instagram or Pinterest. Uh, I use a bunch of I I make my own um, uh, portfolio, mm -hmm. and then from there on I save a bunch of images like like animals and then faces and then uh, I choose one of ten I let's say and then I st I start work from I start I go straight to the canvas from from that image, mm -hmm. and then I I also like to up to to thank all the people that appreciate my my work because that gives me uh, uh, that push is pushing me to to keep uh, painting keep doing what I really like and, and love yeah. mm -hmm. uh, where have you shown your your art here medium art gallery right now they're having a show and my work is there over there and then I've shown my work in Willits two solo shows one last year that it was closed because of the pandemic and then one this year it was in march and then after that i got this friend told me that i can show my work in um, walala so i put two of my paintings in walala and then they i want two prices right now uh, my next show is in brewery will it it's gonna be next week and it's gonna i'm gonna hang about eight to twelve paintings from my most recent work and then so people are responding well to your art yes, here yes my friends and and like the community i i'm guess i'm guessing that there is only a few other latino latin american artists or painters that here in our area so that's something that has changed from being like one of a hundred in Mexico, like painters or not, not a hundred, I'm exaggerating. Other artists, right, like now I'm just by myself and you, Victor, and some other uh, Native American, Native artists, which is cool because they can see painting is as we see as something, uh, realism, magic, realism, magic, magic, realism. Magic, yeah. realism. And there's that connection that, that we have with indigenous cultures, that uh, we have that connection of different way of thinking, different way of seeing reality. We also were part of a colonization, so we have also that uh, ancestral uh, trauma that can also be reflected into all those that work. 
And also the the love for color because when where I came from, the, I used to see a bunch of colorful uh, streets. Color, which right here in Mendocino you can see those too. You, you we we have. I have to say that I that I really like this place as a an inspiration. You you have the 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 forest, the the ocean, and some other beautiful ways to feel ins inspiration inspire yeah yeah no yeah the nature the place is beautiful in the other hand in mexico you see the relationship between a person and a mask uh they dress in a colorful way and then you see many people from other cultures like like the uh, the otomi los oaxaca you you can see a a bunch of beautiful craft imagery uh, in in the people who make dresses and also in Guadalajara and then they're completely different and then you can you interact with cultures and well-developed artists that are sharing their work like like a connection is really inspiring you can see that in your work yes I can see the 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 way that I try to to be um, very visceral and and also like passionate and and enjoy when I'm painting and also hating hating sometimes but uh, most of the times it's like a relationship that I through color I try to convey my spirit or something like that. What's what's next? What what do you see yourself doing next, or what do you want to go with your art? Uh, I want to say add something before um, I read this Native American book and it says something that really um, impresses me, impressed me. Uh, it says something like the purpose of a, of a mask is to make the invisible world visible. So from that idea, I want to uh, steal that idea and, and make it something... Uh, more uh, contemporary mm -hmm. and then I, I wanna I don't want to paint female figures as these uh, go goddess or or even male figures as something like a really mythological or some or some kind of, of heroes I want to explore the other the other side of the coin and see the the human spirit that some or or even the female figure as something corrupted the the flesh or or I've been reading a lot of of uh, Carlos Fuentes and Octavio Paz and they they portray this female as something uh, evil and 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 dangerous and and but that's the beauty of of female as well because they convey also the uh, those two images. So it's not that delicate figure that is kind of like the Barbie figure. What now, I've been doing. Yeah, yeah, you've been doing that. I've been doing that a lot and now I'm tired. So I want to explore the other part. Uh, yeah, that, the darker side of my work. You still use like Latin American writers and icons and, 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 and artwork to inspire you. Yes, of course. I, that's part of my, uh, of my research. Because one time I I was just uh, reading um, magical realism, mm -hmm. and right now I'm more into this and uh, uh, Octavio Paz, Carlos Fuentes that are part of of this movement, but they are by their own, 
and they talk more about the human flesh and and the corruption of the human flesh and they they stand alone be, be um, from other uh, writers from that time and i'm also really into science fiction so you wanna use that as an inspiration for your work like that kind of like science fiction and that kind of like existential thoughts and yes yes and love and all that uh, and i've been trying to explore that but not very successfully but i think that my next work is gonna be strange as well but but in some way like a more complex instead of one uh, personality or one image I'm, i'm trying to add more characters and if i succeed or not that's uh, That's, um, I, I don't care. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's part of being an artist, you know? There's yes. always an exploration. There's always <laughs> trying something new. There's always like a challenge in front of the canvas. Do you have an online presence? Yes, I have my, my Instagram is uh, Salvador Andrade with X, Salvador slash Andrade. That's the Instagram with X and the my Facebook is Salvador Andrade. Uh, anything else you want to add? I have this um, moral that really pushes me to do paintings not 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 in a selfish way because uh, even that I, it sounds kind of selfish that I paint my friends and then I paint just what I really like and I don't paint landscapes uh, my my goal is to portray like a the human being as something uh, universal like those universal you know, figures that really um Uh, that really touch just in some way like when you fell in love or when you the all these struggles that are are really we are facing right now and in our complex and and kind of bitter world that we world that we're in um i don't know uh, i hope i hope that the viewer can uh can can see through my work and then and then see a mirror And then, and and don't see see it as something uh, uh, like a apocalyptic, more like a something like a hope or or, or like a way to communicate communicate with with them. Um, well, thank you so much for for your time and for the work you do. Oh, thank you, Victor. Gracias. Mucho gusto. Next on Our Waves, we have a conversation about perspectives, the Mendocino College Repertoire Dance Company performance. So my name is Erin Schoenbrenner, and I'm the director of the Mendocino College Repertory Dance Company um, at Mendocino College, and I am a professor of dance there at Mendocino College and direct the shows. So the name of the your show is Perspectives. What is Perspectives about? Well, Perspectives came about because the piece has a lot to do with different viewpoints. And as we come out of the pandemic and start to work in the theater again, after two years of being in alternative spaces and not actually performing in the theater. The repertory company is excited to start to share with the community and with the dancers themselves different ways of looking at dance and art in order to recover from the last two years, mm -hmm. essentially, and sort of allow it their their visions, their thoughts to move us forward. So we have the perspectives of five different choreographers in the show and pieces Like mine, the dancers also put in their perspectives and have shared their viewpoints on how to move forward 
There's different styles and the pieces are all created for this show. They're premieres that the dancers have been working on for the last three months, I guess, with these different choreographers. We have Devin Neer, who is a Zouk Lombada choreographer and dancer who's bringing in some energy in Fiesta Lombada. Uh, we have Kara Starkweather, who runs Mendocino Dance Project on the coast, who's bringing in a contemporary look at office spaces and how we interact socially now and how we come out of this COVID era Zoom experience and back into the office and back into public relations and what that means. Um, we have Mendocino Ballet coming in with a more traditional ballet work, but also focusing on moving forward in style. And, and then I'm doing a piece about blindness that has to do with not just blindness in the everyday, like I can't see, but blindness politically, emotionally, socially, and the transparency or um, lack of transparency that is put in front of us at different points. So we're working on these different elements. We also have um, Stefan Hayes, who's a Cirque du Soleil choreographer who came in um, to work with the students, and he takes a different perspective through humor. He calls himself a visual storyteller, and the absurd element of circus and clowning kind of come into play, and that's a lot of fun too. And lastly, Paloma Rodriguez is bringing in a piece called Acceptance, which has to do with the physical relationship between people. So when do we hug, and how is that felt now? Is it awkward, or is it organic, or, you know... <laughs> Are we wearing a mask still? Are we not? Sort of the ties and the inner interpersonal challenges with, with all of that. A lot of the questions that we most people have, what is the normal life, you know, and how we respond uh, uh, in this like almost, or well, we're still in a pandemic, but it's still, it's still very present there and have changes a lot. How, how difficult it is to create choreographies and with these topics I think for these artists, that's what they do. It's how they process life is to create work, right? To dance through it and ask questions and create visual movement-based works that explain how they feel about the topic or how they want to move forward or what they see as barriers to moving forward. Often I find it's not how hard it is, but how willing you are to ask the hard questions and then dive into The beautiful thing about this show is that these artists really have gone forward and said, okay, this is what we're dealing with. This is, these are the things we're running up against um, on a social or emotional or post-pandemic. Well, I guess we're sort of in the pandemic still, mm -hmm. but, you know, on these levels and how are we going to address them and how can we help our community move forward and process what has happened, which is the beautiful thing about art, right? We can process, we can look at it, we can tear it apart, put it back together. And it doesn't always have to be the, the truth. It can be abstractions to help us find the truth yeah that's the, the one of the powers of art that can create all these different space and conversations when you can see things your routine in a different way exactly so you know we create a visual space that's very kinetic as choreographers um, and we use our body and our language and music to tell that story my piece uses a lot of lighting to tell that story as well so it's really fun to to have these other ways to talk about the issues that are happening. How many dancers are involved? I believe it's 23 dancers performing this weekend. Uh, they're all students um, at Mendocino College. Some of them have been there for many years. Others are brand new to this, the process and um, performing. But yeah, they're all, they're all students. Where is the performance going to be? The performance will be at Mendocino College in the Center Theater. And we have a Friday, November 
18th, Saturday, November 19th, 7.30 show. And then a Sunday, 2 p.m. show, November 20th. And it's family friendly. So if you want to bring the kids, they always really enjoy the dance performances. If our listeners want to have more information about it, where can they go? They can go to the college website, mendocinocollege.edu backslash dance, and it should be right there for them. Or the Arts Mendocino website also has tickets for sale Mm -hmm. um, if they want to go go there it sounds like a incredible pieces so it's going to be different choreographies coming one after the other yeah there's i think eight pieces total in the whole show and the show runs about an hour and 30 minutes you'll see four pieces in the first half and three pieces in the second half and then acceptance runs as a thread throughout the whole show so you'll see um hugs and the relationship between people occurring between pieces and around. That's a big deal for performing arts to be back in the theater. The Mendocino College Repertory Dance Company has been running for over 35 years. And in that time have taken very little time off. So over the pandemic to not be performing in the theater was a big deal. So it's fun to be back in into the groove, I guess you could say, of annual performances and sharing that energy with the community and with the students and bringing guests in from all over to do that. Erin, thank you so much for your time. Okay, thank you so much, Victor. Next, Marty Darling talks to spoken word artist Felicity Artemis. The fabric of time is running thin, so I am called to call us to begin to reclaim the true meaning of the word sin. Etymologically, to sin is to be, to be in love with the scent of the tree, to revel in the mud, to slurp the sweet fig. So if we're going to sin y'all, you know, we better sin big. That's Felicity Artemis from her poem, The Dualism Schism. Felicity will take the stage this coming Friday, November 18th at 7.30 p.m. at the Willits Community Theater in a performance called The End of Dystopia. I spoke to Felicity last week via Zoom and began the interview by asking her about her background and what led her to create this show. I'm a daughter of Jewish Holocaust survivors. So that's my background, first-generation American. My dad was from Romania. You know, his whole family was killed um, in concentration camps. My mother was in hiding, like Anne Frank in Poland. And so I was raised with these stories, these horrible stories from a very young age. So dystopia, the dystopian reality, was very much a part of my frame of reference for, you know, for reality (laughs) growing up. And so, I mean, for better or for worse, it made me into an idealist, like um, just always thinking about what causes cruelty or human suffering, unnecessary suffering, I should say, and what could possibly be a solution. So I can say that my entire adult life has been filled with these questions and looking for possible answers. (laughs) So I'm kind of 24-7 watching the the narrative on the world stage unfold I don't rest very much and just, you know, always trying to like crack the code on what causes human cruelty toward, not toward, just toward other 
human beings, but toward the natural world. Uh, I became a spoken word artist about 15 years ago, entering poetry slams and stuff, all with socio-political content. And the slam style poetry is a three minute manifesto. So uh, I, I got pretty adept at that art form. Before that, I became a teacher, an educator in earth-based spirituality, otherwise known as eco-feminist witchcraft um, in Sebastopol, California, also in Los Angeles, on Maui and in Portland. And so um, I, I've done quite a bit of that, but now my, um, my way is to take the stage, take the microphone and entertain through uh, performance poetry, which is it's very entertaining. The performance poetry format of the short poems that are strung together is captivating. Most of my poems are three minutes or under, and I do a bit of also storytelling in this, um, this performance. It's called The End of Dystopia, I'm performing it at the Willits Community Theater on November 18th, on the evening of November 18th basically the the theme or what it is that i'm conveying is that uh there it there's a need to tell a non-dystopian narrative about the future in as many ways as possible to counter the trajectory that has been forecast through all the dystopian storytelling that abounds in in science fiction and tv shows and novels and uh certainly in the bible it's in the uh, Judeo-Christian. Um... Exactly. Yeah, that's to me, that's the root of the dystopian story that the human beings have been playing out is through um, all the patriarchal religions that have predicted our uh, self-destruction and just all of the division that all of those religions have created. I have gone into um, making it so you know, creating um, a war, a warring type of species. Um, some people think that being warlike is just natural to human nature. There's no way to know for sure, but I just don't think that that's true. I think that it's actually been an evolutionary glitch that have, has caused us to be so violent and self-destructive. And yes, I think it originates in patriarchal mythology, you know, that have um, a male god, a punishing, angry god that is, again, is usually portrayed as a male um, and and that that is the embodiment of divinity, which, you know, automatically makes um, people who are incarnated in female bodies not divine, that the, the female body is something to be controlled by by males. So I think that that has, I mean, that's, that could be a whole program in and of itself, but I just think that the oppression and brutality toward the female through patriarchal religion, the shaming, the humiliation has not only had an, uh, an impact on women, but on all of their offspring, which includes men. So I don't think that men can know themselves or understand themselves in a world that demonizes or vilifies their mother from where they came. So this this sounds like that's part of eco-feminist witchcraft. Yes, yes, it is. That's 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 the basic teaching. 
to re-deify all that is female and all that comes from her. So that includes the male and all the other nuanced genders that have always been around since the beginning of time. And, um, you know, just basically to re to reascribe divinity to creation, to the creation. And it's always like so weird to me that that a person or a culture would worship a creator but vilify their creation <laughs> you know in indigenous culture the creator and the creation are one continuum one continuous thing so that's why indigenous people worship the the living world as the creation of the creator it seems like such a basic way of being in the world but it it's disappearing with the obliteration of indigenous cultures it also emphasizes the idea that creation is ongoing that it's a constant thing that that it's a living universe a living planet a living ecosystem exactly yep that's the um that's the tragedy that's the nature of the tragedy is why all indigenous people starting with european indigenous people the, the, the pagans of old had to be destroyed in order to get rid of the worship of our own nature. You know, honestly, I think it, it made, it has made people insane. And I believe, and this comes out in my show, that that is also the root cause of psychopathy, of the anatomy of the psychopath mind is to me that separation from from nature. And I know there's many different versions of the psychopath, but I think that that's essentially where psychopathy originates is in ancient trauma that has punished the human uh, psyche for being ourselves and our own nature as nature. And I think that's important to understand. It's essential to all of this to understand that, you know, I mean, as a pagan, um, we don't believe in good and evil. That's that's a Judeo-Christian concept. But uh, we do believe in cause and effect. And the psychopath is a neurological condition. It is a personality disorder. And it has cause. And it may also have a cure. Psychopaths have a, a lack of empathy. That is what defines the, the psychopath. And that's what defines a psychopathic culture that lack of empathy gives a psychopath superpowers so by not being burdened by worrying um about you know having empathy for others then all of their intelligence goes into manipulation and power over and power plays and they're very you know often geniuses psychopaths um at at you know controlling others in manipulating society. And so I think that's our task, to be honest, is to figure out how to trick, undermine, somehow thwart the psychopath rule of our, of our country, of our world, through empathy, through figuring out how to make empathy itself a superpower. Poetry is an art form. I just want to get to this issue of art being political or polemical or trying to make a point. And obviously you are trying to make a point, but but how do you keep it 
artful and not make it feel like a lecture. Oh, that's such a good, um, yeah, that's a good, that's because I used to lecture <laughs> at colleges and whatnot. And then um, one time I was at a conference or a, uh, a festival, it was called the Goddess Festival out in Occidental, California. And my friend Sherry Glazer, who I'm sure you know, she yes. came to, to, to hear me speak. And when I got off the stage, she said, you know, if you tweak that a little bit, you could be a performance artist and it would have much more of an impact if you, if it was, you know, I mean, I was already entertaining as a lecturer, but you know what I mean? Um, just making it officially uh, an art form or, or entertainment. So she helped me and directed me before I became a performance poet, but I was a performance artist <laughs> and I did all kinds of, uh, of antics and shenanigans to get the point across on stage. Um, and yeah, I mean, I could give you an example. Some of them are quite fun. Maybe just to segue to what I was saying about the psychopath. Maybe I'll go into that one because that one is just one minute long. Is that all right? Sure. Go ahead. If I were a psychopath, I would figure out how to turn allies against each other. I would use every opportunity, every crisis, every virus to sow hatred and division to create an easy transition to authoritarianism. If I were a psychopath, I would orchestrate the merging of church and state into nation and mandate allegiance to domination. I would reward obedience and punish dissent and sanctify corporate hold of the government as sacrament. I would entrance the masses to love their device, entice them to pay any price, even privacy, freedom, and the existence of life. I would brainwash the masses to worship abstractions, consume distractions, and make dystopian entertainment the main attraction. If I were a psychopath, that's what I'd do, wouldn't you? <laughs> There's a, that's like a little ditty. Yep, that sums it up. <laughs> this is um, my latest and also quite short, shorter than three minutes. This one was written because I became alarmed. I'm, I'm a big fan of psychedelics, okay? And I have for a long time. I believe that psychedelics saved my life when I was very chronically depressed. So, you know, the new um, approach to psychedelics that is being used now in therapy I see that as potentially positive. However, I have become very concerned about the use of psychedelics, particularly mushrooms, um, in therapy. I mean, I think that that's a great tool for uh, therapeutic use. However, doing that kind of therapy in a building, in a room, or in conjunction with virtual reality or screens, to me is is very alarming how that hijacked and used, um, you know, to do further harm to the human psyche that than what is already taking place through screens and technology. This poem is a reaction to that. I wish that I could 
improvise, but my brain just wants to memorize, emphasize and internalize every word because my brain thinks words are power and every word counts and amounts to the possibility of moving the world towards sanity for which I happen to be a competent spokesperson to synthesize perception, to zero in on essence, to represent the presence of truth that is objective and integrate the subjective while honoring the connective between sacred chaos and sequential logic. Because we are animal, vegetable, and mineral, and we are evolutionarily stuck in a necro-techno-dystopian mind with any luck, we'll give it up and redirect our genius for better things, disobey the robot masters and the kings with our art and our words, what we say, what we do to break through the chain of the insane, retrain our brains to abstain from any reality that is virtual. So when you eat a mushroom, stick your nose in a rose and partake, get naked, make a hole in the ground and lay face down and let her have your weight. Smell the dirt, heal the hurt, right here in the earth where life begins and the trauma ends and nothing is pretend, just blend and memorize her scent to join the world of the sentient. This is time well spent in the quintessence of everything that makes any sense. Have you ever worked with musicians backing you up? I have a little bit. Well, more like people who've made me recorded beats. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, I should mention at this juncture that my friend Malachi Shindell is going to open the um, my performance on November 18th with a song that I asked him to sing. So um, just be one song, but he'll he'll bring it pretty powerfully, but he won't be playing with me during the performance. Um, it is fun to have beats, um, but I do practice with beats. I practice with a metronome. So people hear the music just in the way that I bring the poems. Where do you think this this art form stands as an art form? What did it grow out of? Did it grow out of the rap, the hip hop culture? Um, I have a feeling, I have a feeling, I wish I, I wish I could answer that question coherently. But I mean, like which came first, the chicken or the egg, but I'm, I'm, I'm it's probably that the hip hop rap tradition like a poetry slam as a contest first poetry slam i ever entered was on maui and the prize was a hundred dollars and so it meant that everyone brought their a game and if you went over three minutes you were disqualified like you couldn't win um or you couldn't get it win any you know you basically were out and all that so you'd be under under three minutes but not um over and um i do find that the necessity to have to trim a poem down to, to such a small space is wonderful because it's like trimming the fat, you know, um, you just take off every possible superfluous phrase, even if you love that phrase, like, oh, I love that phrase. But it's like, yeah, but you already said it over here that way. Anyway, in the end, you have a little nug, you know, a jewel. That was Felicity Artemis, performing this Friday, November 18th at 7.30 p.m. at the Willits Community Theater in a performance called The End of Dystopia. Tickets are available online or at the door. For Art Waves, I'm Marty Durland. 
Finally, we have a conversation with KCYX news reporter Stacy Sheldon about the California Creative Corps. You're listening to Our Waves in KCYX. My name is Victor Palomino, and I'm here with Stacy Sheldon. She's part of the KCYX news team. And Stacy, welcome to Our Waves. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Victor. We're here because you went to a meeting. Our this uh, next segment is about the Creative Corps uh, application or grant that is available or is going to be available in 2023. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about the piece that we're going to hear? It's really exciting. The state of California in 2021 allocated over $60 million to the California Arts Council. And that organization then divided that $60 million into regions throughout California to use for art projects that will benefit our communities. So I attended a, a meeting up at the Willett Center for the Art that was hosted by some administrators from Nevada County Arts Council who are overseeing the distribution of the grant money here in Mendocino County. Nevada Arts Council is partnering up with our Arts Council of Mendocino County to oversee the distribution of $4 million of grant funding to projects that get greenlighted in our communities. So basically, it's uh, time for artists to get ready to uh, get some funding for their work. Absolutely. This particular funding came out of a task force recommendation to the governor to help communities repair after the COVID pandemic. There is a new platform online called the Healthy Places Index. And this online platform has data for every neighborhood, every county in California. And this data creates a metric for the health of a community like education, economics, access to health care, income, and the Healthy Places Index data is based on information gleaned from the census. And so what this grant program asks is that artists go online and refer to the Healthy Places Index. There's a map and you can hover over your neighborhood. You can see Ukiah, you can see Talmadge, you can see Laytonville, you can see Fort Bragg, and you click on the neighborhood you're interested in and it will give you data about education, healthcare, public services, access to libraries, access to retail and food. And you can use the Healthy Places Index to determine the places of need in your community. And based on what you what the artists discover is needed in their communities to help their communities become healthier places, then artists are asked to create projects that will benefit the communities and help improve those needed areas. How was the meeting? Who attended the meeting? There were about 18 artists and community leaders in attendance at the Willits Center for the Arts. And Alyssa Weir from the Arts Council of Mendocino was in attendance because she'll be helping artists in our community brainstorm project ideas. She will be 
uh, available to help artists write grants. And she will be working with the representative from the Nevada County Arts Council to determine who will get the grant funding. Also, a woman named Eliza Tudor. She is from the Nevada County Arts Council, and she will be seeing the distribution of the grant money in our region. I'd like to add that at the meeting, I found it interesting that our artists and community leaders reminded Eliza Tudor that the California census data might not necessarily be an accurate representation of what's happening in communities. That oftentimes, you know, where Mendocino County is known as being kind of an outlaw under the radar community, many of our community members choose not to participate in the census. Many of our community members are um, cannabis farmers that don't want to go on record for their work. So there might be areas in the county where in the Healthy Places Index, it might look like there are high areas of unemployment when actually in those communities, you have hardworking farmers working from dusk till dawn. Eliza Tudor's reaction was artists can bring their own ideas to the table and identify area of needs that might not be reflected in the California census for our region. They're in a listening stage right now And later on in the spring of 2023, I think grant applications will be available and be accepted. Stacey Sheldon, member of the KCYX News Team, thank you so much for stopping by at Our Waves and giving us this information. Oh, you're so welcome, Victor. Thanks for listening to Our Waves. We'll be back in December with more stories here on KCYX, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can also find our stories in kcyx.org or you can download our app, whatever you get your apps. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.